Well, Asher, thank you for your kind introduction, brother. And uh, it is a privilege to get to proclaim the glories of God's word to you uh, this morning. And it was a great privilege to get to spend uh, the weekend with Crosspoint students and students from Sojourn as well as we considered all that God has done for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ, how he makes us right, he makes us holy, and he makes us whole through the gospel. We took time to consider those big terms of justification, sanctification, glorification, and what those mean as they show up throughout the book of Romans, those, those great treasures we have in Christ. And not too long ago, I preached a, week, a, a weekend similar to that one uh, at Falls Creek. And I remember when I got home from that weekend, I was, I was beat. I was exhausted. Uh, I was worried about all the things I needed to get done that I, that, you know, after being away. And uh, this weekend has not been like that for whatever reason. This weekend has been a delight. It's been a delight to be with your students and to be with you this morning. I've been refreshed by the word of God and Romans. I've been refreshed by believers like you who share the same commitments we do at our church in Oklahoma City. I've been refreshed by the men who serve you like Asher and Blair and Jeremy and their families. And I've been refreshed by your students, uh, students who showed up faithfully and they sincerely gave themselves to sitting under the word of God to be shaped by it. And as a testament to Blair's work to teach them and disciple them to love the word of God. And that is a testament to the work of God among you. That you have young people in your midst who desire to be shaped by the word and to be conformed in the image of Christ together as his people. And so I just wanted to take a moment at least to encourage you with that. I've been encouraged by you. The Lord's, and the Lord's given you good gifts in the men who are serving your church and the Lord is at work among you. Uh, but I also at least wanted to take a moment and thank you. Uh, thank you, not only for allowing me to come and serve you this weekend, but also just for praying for my church, for supporting uh, our church. By God's grace, we formally uh, planted our church as we covenanted together on December 17th uh, as members of Providence Baptist Church. And that Sunday, we, we baptized a 72-year-old uh, man who in his testimony said that his life had previously been defined by a pursuit of sex and drugs and rock and roll. And now by the grace of Jesus Christ, he just likes rock and roll. Uh, and uh, we, we baptized a 23-year-old young man who for a few years he had a desire to follow Christ, but he was terrified of baptism. He was afraid of committing to Christ's church and the Lord has been so kind to us to bring those brothers into our fellowship, and you have been incredibly kind to pray for us and to support us. And um, those who serve you, like your lead pastor and like Ian Hawking, who have reached out and checked in on us, uh, we, are, we are very grateful for you. So thank you. Uh, but the greatest joy of getting to be with you this morning is to get to look at these glorious truths God has laid before us in Romans chapter 8. What a delightful chapter in the Word of God. It's one of the clearest explanations in all the Bible, the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ and its implications for us. In this chapter, chapter 8, it begins by telling us you can't, you can't be condemned if you're in Christ, and then it ends by telling us, and you can't be separated 
from the love of God that's in Christ. If you've been justified, you've been glorified. That's there at the end of verse 30. The beginning of the chapter, there's no condemnation. The end of the chapter, there's no separation for you. If you're in Christ, you are in Christ. You're forgiven, you're made right, you're made whole, you're justified, you're glorified. And these last several verses before our text in particular have been pointing us toward the reality of our coming glorification, what awaits us in heaven. Verse 17 of chapter 8 says, if you were in Christ, you are, you are a child of God. There's a, there's, a, there's a great inheritance waiting for you in heaven, provided we suffer with him that we may also be glorified with him. And verse 18 says the sufferings of this present life won't be even worth comparing. It's not even going to be worth your time to remember your sufferings or compare them with the glories that will be revealed in the last day. All of creation's groaning for it. We ourselves are groaning for that day when Christ will return and renew and restore and rid his creation of sin and death. And it's so certain, so secure, we can wait for it with confidence and expectant hope patiently. And in the verses right before our text, they, they tell us, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might... Be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's as good as done. You will be with Jesus, and you will be like Jesus on the last day. So what now? What do we do now? What do we do with that? That's how our text begins. What then shall we say to these things? What do, what, do we, what do we say? There's a God in heaven who's secured eternity for you. There's a God in heaven who is conforming you in the image of his son Christ, who will form you into, into the image of his son Christ. There's a God in heaven with whom you'll spend eternity worshiping him and delighting in him if you're in Christ. Now what will you do with that? What's your response? What do you say? Well, imperfect and limited human beings like us might not know what to say in response to that. In fact, we might even have doubts. We might have uncertainty. We probably have questions. And there are two things that God the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul leads us to do in this text. He leads us to interrogate our doubts and to interrupt our doubts with truth. Those are going to be the two points of the sermon this morning. Interrogate your doubts according to verses 31 to 36 and interrupt your doubts with truth according to verses 37 to 39. And here's the point, here's the message for us from this text this morning, a sort, of, a sort of charge to you, a charge for you this morning in response to the promised glorification that we will have in Christ, that we do have in Christ. The charge for you as Christians, suffer on the way to glory, secured by the inseparable love of God in Christ. Suffer on the way to glory, secured by the inseparable love of God in Christ. 
May that be the encouragement. May that be the charge you receive from this text. Christian, do not succumb to your doubts. But may you suffer toward glory as one who knows you are secure. Well, you know John the Baptist, that great prophet who prepared the way for the Messiah, the one who, even as an unborn child, we're told he leaped in his mother's womb in the presence of his Savior Jesus. John the Baptist, who, after Jesus, had healed the centurion's servant with a word. This is coming from Luke chapter 7. And Jesus then raised the widow of Nain's son from the dead. John the Baptist, he hears reports of these things, this, this healing and this resurrection and what's his response? He has doubts. He has questions. Here's John the Baptist, this great prophet, sitting in prison, wondering, when is the Messiah going to overthrow Herod, who's keeping me here in prison? And he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the one to come, or shall we look for another? Are you the one? Or do I need to keep waiting? John the Baptist's response to hearing of Jesus healing this man on his deathbed. John the Baptist's response to hearing that Jesus raised a man from the dead. He was on a stretcher being carried to his grave, and he sat up when Jesus told him to. John the Baptist's response was to ask questions, was to have doubts. Similarly, here we are in Romans 8, Having heard, if you've read before in the context all the way leading up to this text, heard all these incredible things that God has done for us in Christ, the, the glory that awaits us. And then we get the question, what, what are you going to say? What shall we say to these things? And the Lord in his kindness and in his goodness anticipates we may have doubts and we, have may, we may have questions. Can this really be? What if I don't make it to glory? What if God isn't as good as he seems? The Holy Spirit who intercedes for us, he interrogates our doubts with these questions in 31 to 36. There's a book by uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the good doctor who became a pastor it's titled Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cure. And Dr. Jones says, in, Dr. Lord Jones says in that book, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking to you. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. One of the greatest threats to our growth, our endurance, to our development as a Christian, as ourselves, as you. In particular, what you say to you, what you hear 
in that dialogue going on in your head. It's not your circumstances. It's not your suffering. And hear me, I don't mean to diminish your sufferings at all. But I do mean, I do intend to normalize your sufferings. To suffer is to be a Christian. It's all throughout the testimony of Scripture. Romans 8, 8, 17, it says, We are heirs with Christ provided, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Our Savior suffered. He died on a cross. He commanded us to take up his cross and follow after him. He said, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. One of the greatest threats to your health and your growth and your endurance as a Christian is not your suffering. It's what you say to yourself in the midst of your sufferings. Be on guard about what you are listening to in the dialogue in your mind. You want a spouse, but the Lord hasn't provided one. It's not that you don't have a spouse that's the threat to your faith. In fact, Paul says elsewhere in in the scriptures that he wishes every Christian was that way. It's the accusations in your head as you endure that trial. It's the doubts and the frustrations that that are talking to you. Those are threat it's the doubts and the accusations that you've got to address that you've got to do something about you want a child and the Lord hasn't provided one perhaps your good friend is sick perhaps your dad isn't around maybe your boss is unfair what are you saying to yourself in your sufferings are you doubting God's goodness Do you doubt God's love for you? Do you accuse yourself? As we suffer on the way to glory, we weak pilgrims who don't even know what to pray, that's how we're described in verse 26 of chapter 8, we've got to confront our doubts. We've got to take hold of the accusations in our minds, and we've got to ask them some questions. We've got to interrogate the doubts that are in our heads, to put our thoughts on the witness stand and question their truthfulness. Because if we just keep listening, then your heart's going to be full of frustration and discontentment. You'll be unhappy, straying farther and farther away from your Savior Christ. If God is for us, who can be against us? What a blessed question to ask the doubts rolling around in your head. If God is for you, who can be against you? Who can withstand God Almighty if it's Him and His love that secures you as you suffer on the way to glory? Who can stop Him? He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? When I was in high school, I played baseball, and uh, during some of the games, especially as a freshman, uh, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I I would get pretty nervous out on the field. And uh, I didn't want to make an error. I didn't want to be the the one to let my teammates down. I felt silly being so nervous out there in the field over something so trivial. I felt silly even just praying 
to God to ask for his help because of my nerves. I was like, Brett, this is, this is a 3A high school baseball game. This isn't something you need to pray about or worry about. Just play the game. But if God gave his own son for you, if God gave the precious life of Jesus to save you from your sins, won't he care for you when you are afraid, when you are worried, when you are nervous, no matter how trivial the thing is that's concerning you? I want to show you grace and mercy. He's got grace and abundance. He's so, he's so full of grace. He can always give you more. It's unending. It's abounding. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Just think what grace he showed you by his son. Won't he show you grace when you acknowledge your doubts, when you acknowledge your fears and your questions before him? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? What a blessed question to ask in the midst of our doubts. It is God who justifies. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. That simply means that if you are in Christ, well, before time began, God loved you. He set your destiny for you. He effectually called you to himself, and he justified you. He made you right with him. If you're in a courtroom with God as the judge, he not only declared you innocent of crimes you had actually committed, he declared you righteous, right with him. He declared you from that moment. He makes the decree for you and through all eternity you are cleansed from every sin, all wrongdoing by the blood of the Lamb. That is to be justified. That is to be made right with a holy God because he views you through his perfect and sinless Son. In our court system, you have the chance to appeal to a higher authority. You can take your case from the municipal court to the district court, from the district court to the court of appeals, from the court of appeals to the Supreme Court. But who can bring a charge against God's elect? He is the one who has declared you righteous in Christ. It was his declaration. He is the one who does the work of justification. And to what higher authority is there to appeal? Who can challenge the verdict of God Almighty? Who can challenge him? Who is to condemn? Who is to condemn? Maybe in those moments of dialogue with yourself when you're listening to your doubts, maybe you try to condemn yourself. You keep struggling. You keep falling back into the same sin. You think you can't forgive yourself for doing it again. You try to declare yourself as no good, unworthy of love and forgiveness. Well, even when you try to condemn yourself, who are you to condemn? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. Don't allow those doubts to churn in your head. Question them, confront them, interrogate them. Who are you to condemn? Jesus is the one who died more than that. He was raised more than that. He ascended to the right hand of God in heaven more than that. He is now advocating for you, interceding for you, providing grace for you, granting God's love and favor and blessing to you even though you're undeserving. And verse 35 continues this line of questioning. Who shall separate us from the love of God and Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, No circumstance of yours, none of your suffering will ever, can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ. In fact, we have strong evidence all throughout the witness of Scripture for the exact opposite. Our Bibles are full of people who suffered for the Lord and to whom he was near, whose suffering he actually used for their good purposes and for his glory in their lives and all throughout history. Think of Naomi and Ruth, who lost everything, yet God used them to perpetuate the line of his promised blessing and his Savior who was to come. Think of Hannah praying to the Lord and begging him for a child. Think of Esther pleading with God to spare his people. None of those sufferings separated God's people from him, but in fact, they brought them nearer to him to taste and see more of his goodness, to know more of his glory and grace. And Paul continues to interrogate this doubt with a quote. He quotes Psalm 44. You see that in verse 36. The Psalms, they give us this great, they give us great example of what to do when we have doubts. The Psalms teach us how to speak to ourselves, how to interrogate the questions and doubts in our hearts. Psalm 44, it starts out with this, great remembrance of how all the, all the mighty ways that God has acted on behalf of his people in the past. It says, oh God, we've heard of your mighty deeds from the days of old. That's what the psalmist says. God, we know that you are the one who has saved us in the past. It is in you we boast, the psalmist said. But now we're looking around and we're like sheep being slaughtered, the psalmist says. The psalmist says, Why? Oh, Lord, our doubts should drive questions, questions that are grounded in who God is and how God has acted in the past, questions that lead us to the truth. Christian, you will have suffering on your way to glory, but don't let suffering lead to doubts that you listen to that then derail your faith. Interrogate them. Ask good questions grounded in truth. If God is for us, who can be against us? Suffer on the way to glory, secured by the inseparable love of God in Christ. Verses 37 to 39 go on to say, No, 
In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're instructed here, interrogate your doubts. But then you don't just sit and wait and listen for an answer. No, you interrogate your doubts and then you interrupt your doubts with the truth. You speak the truth. You see the answer to the series of questions all throughout verse 31 to 36, the first half of our text, those series of questions. Who can be against us? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? Who can condemn? Who can separate us from the love of God in Christ? And verse 37 just gives us a clear and definitive answer. You just said, no. There is no one There is nothing, not your worst enemy, not your greatest temptation. There is nothing, there is no one who can derail doubting Christians on their way to glory. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Remind yourself of the truth. We have those first words in verse verse 38. First words of verse 38. For I am sure. Interrupt your doubts with truth. Tell yourself what is absolutely certain. God, the Holy Spirit, speaking through the Apostle Paul, says, I am sure. There's no question about this. There's no need to doubt this. God, the Holy Spirit, says this is absolutely and utterly certain. It cannot change. It cannot be wrong. What are you truly sure about? Are you sure that today is going to go exactly as your calendar says it's going to? Are you sure that your job is going to be the same as it is today? Are you sure you're not going to make a mistake today? Are you sure that about the health and the status of your relationships? Are you sure about your investments? Are you sure about your plan for the next five years? What, what can we really be sure about? If we're honest, there there aren't that many things. Oh, we might not always realize that most things in our lives are unsure. And here we have God Almighty telling us this thing I'm about to say, this I am sure about. What is it? What's God so sure about? What's he so certain of? That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is certain and secure. There's nothing that exists that can separate us from the love of Jesus. Just consider this list that Paul gives us. It's most of these opposite pairs. Death, nor life. Whether you're living or dying, neither one makes Jesus' love for you less sure. Thomas Watson uh, put it this way. He said this about those who trust in Christ. He says, we're actually, we, we are more sure to arise out of our graves than to arise out of our beds. Death cannot separate you from Christ and his love for you. Angels nor rulers 
You could be surrounded by an army of angels. You could be surrounded by an army of demons. Neither one can remove Jesus' love and affection for you. Things present nor things to come. Whatever your circumstances are today, whatever your circumstances are tomorrow, whatever is going on with you 20 years from now, if you're trusting in Jesus, none of it will make a difference as to whether or not Jesus loves you, as to whether or not his love is strong enough to save you and to keep you. If you believe in Christ, there's nothing that could occur in your lifetime to separate you from him and his saving love. Nor powers. This is the only one on the list without a counterpart. God is saying that there are these formidable spiritual powers that are against us. Paul knows this. He tells us of this in a place like Ephesians 6 when he says we're not in a battle against flesh and blood nor against one another, one another, not against wicked people. We're dealing with rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness. Our world is broken. It's not as it should be. And that brokenness is being leveraged and wielded by spiritual forces of evil who are working against us. Circumstances of our lives are not just physical. They're spiritual powers that work against us. But when those great powers are confronted with the love of Jesus, they're turned into but a whimper. They can't separate you from him. Height nor depth. From the heights of the tallest mountain to the depths of the deepest sea. There is no creature, there is nothing that can separate you from Christ. And in case you're not convinced yet, Paul finishes by saying, nor anything else in all creation. It's as if he tells us before we can even think it. There is, there's literally nothing, nothing you're going to come up with. Nothing in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No one, not even yourself. When you trust Jesus, his love embraces you so tightly, so securely. It brings you so close to him that you can't be taken away. Nothing can pull you apart from him. Not your sins, not your failures, not your doubts, not your anxieties, not your insecurities, not your loneliness, not your hopelessness, not your lack of faith, not your questions, not your anger. There is nothing. There is nothing in you, outside of you, in creation, outside of creation. There is nothing that exists anywhere that is strong enough, that is great enough, that is powerful enough to separate you from the love of Jesus. The greatest force in all the universe is the love of Jesus Christ. And when he has placed his saving love upon you, it's an unstoppable force. It cannot be thwarted. And what exactly does that look like? What does that love look like? What exactly was that love that you, Christian, have found that washed all your sins away? The love of Jesus is most clearly and most beautifully expressed in the gospel, the good news, the reason we are gathered here this morning, the good news we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all bear that weight. We can't do enough to correct our mistakes. We can't do enough good to wash away the bad that we've done. 
But God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross and to save us from our sins. And Jesus, after he died, he rose from the dead for us so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The good news is that in Christ you cannot be condemned. In Christ you cannot be separated from his love. If you, if you are without hope this morning, if you are unsure about your eternity this morning, if you are unsure about what you're going to do about your sins and your mistakes, I am sure of this. That if you will turn from your sins, if you will believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to save you from your sins, he will wrap his almighty, all-powerful, loving arms around you in an embrace, and there will be nothing that can ever separate you from him. If you're not a Christian, this is the good news. That if you will believe in Jesus, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. Your soul will be with him forever in heaven. You'll receive his love and experience his love for all eternity. So if you're not a Christian, turn from your sins. Trust in Jesus. And experience his love today. I often have doubts in my Christian life. There are a lot of things I have questions about. A lot of things I'm not sure about. I can say with confidence, I am sure of this. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Christian, would you receive those words this morning? As you suffer on your way to glory, don't let your doubts churn, but interrogate them. Interrupt them with truth. If God is for us, who can be against us? You cannot be condemned. You cannot be separated from him. Christians, suffer on your way to glory, secured by the inseparable love of God and Christ for you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the glories of heaven that are promised to us. Father, we thank you that as we suffer on our way to glory, that we are secured by your love. That we will never be separated from it, God. I pray that the brothers and sisters in this room this morning would find hope and encouragement and confidence in that truth this morning to continue following after you. And Father, I pray for those who are not Christians who've come today, that they would turn from their sins and receive that love in Christ. God, we thank you for the love you poured out on us in Jesus. We thank you for the goodness of your word for our hearts today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.